Hello there, my name is Kathleen and this is The Osborne Tapes, the re-release of the Analyst Corner podcast with Debbie Osborne. Today's episode features multi-award winning analyst Brian Hill. Brian Hill was known as the Analyst's Analyst. His valuable insight and knowledge propelled the field of crime analysis forward in many ways. He developed the probability grid method, a method for predicting the next hit in a series of crimes. And he also co-authored one of the best-selling textbooks to date, Fundamentals of Crime Mapping. In this episode, Brian promotes this textbook, which he co-authored with Dr. Painich. The Fundamentals of Crime Mapping includes theories and history of crime analysis, practical examples with real-world data, GIS system information, and day-to-day application of crime analysis mapping. Brian Hill's legacy shines through his life's work and is also honored by the IACA Brian Hill Memorial Scholarship Award, which recognizes individuals with that same spirit of service that Brian was well known for. Now let's get into today's episode and take a step back in time with Brian Hill. Welcome to Analyst Corner, a show dedicated to the development of crime and intelligence analysis and policing. I'm Deborah Osborne, a writer, a former analyst, and the host of this show. Today's topic is the book, Fundamentals of Crime Mapping. Our guest is Brian Hill. Brian retired from the Phoenix Police Department after serving 21 years as a patrol officer, solo motor, detect- solo motor detective, and sworn crime analyst. He currently teaches at Chandler Gilbert Community College in Chandler, Arizona, as adjunct faculty. Brian has worked in the crime analysis field for the past 15 years, and the last eight being with the Glendale Police Department in Arizona as a civilian analyst. He is recognized by his colleagues as a dedicated expert in many aspects of crime analysis, and I can also attest as, a, as an analyst who needed help from him and as a writer who asked for his assistance and contributions to articles, Brian is one of the most helpful analysts I know. Um, welcome to the show, Brian. Hi, how are you doing, Debbie? Good, good. So um, you, ha- you have co-authored a new book, um, and... Obviously, the show. One of the reasons you're on the show is to talk about the book. So, can you just give us an overview of the book, um, Fundamentals of Crime Mapping, and how who the authors are and how it came to be? Yes, uh, we. Uh, Dr. Rebecca Panett from Curry College is kind of the lead author on this, and <clears throat> she had a contract with Jones and Bartlett Publishing to create a crime analysis textbook. And uh, this was mostly for the class that she teaches to introductory officers and crime analysts in in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, she was looking for somebody to partner up with to do the exercises and, and have it be a little bit more of a, a practical mix between, you know, all a lot of the books that you see out there right now are a lot of either academic or a lot of just practical knowledge and not a mix of the both. And so she wanted an analyst to help her out, and, and uh, I, through Doug Hicks from Minneapolis, actually, he called me and said, hey, I know that you have a textbook that you're writing, and how'd you like to pair up with Rebecca? So it actually worked out really well. And so we began this adventure um, about a year ago, I guess, and uh, she wrote all of the text for the chapters, and the, the academic and the theory and that and then I wrote all the practical exercises and created all the data for the textbook. And was this the data you used? Was that real data, or did you make stuff up for the book? Well, it's it's real data for the city of Glendale, Arizona. Um, the but everything's been cleaned and sanitized and moved around, so you 
really can't tell who really was the victim or suspect. Uh, but it's, it's a complete set of data, stuff that you would I, I deal with on a daily basis that I analyze. And it's, you've got citation data in there and and adult probationers and things like that. Like, again, everything's been clean and sanitized, so it doesn't represent any real person, but um, it is based on real data. Okay, so that allows the, the people who are using practicing on software, mapping software to to actually map places when they're using the, doing the exercises. Um, and cleaning the data refers, and sanitizing it refers to to making sure there's no errors, but also that there's nothing that shouldn't be released to the public, right? You know, that it's, yeah. it is. Right, all the last names and first names were all changed and the dates of birth and social security numbers and heights and weights and everything has been modified to some degree or other. Uh, somewhere. That's <laughs> Yeah, that probably all by itself took about four months to actually pull all that data, because it's about uh, it, it's basically from a time period of, of 2001 to 2005 um, data, and so uh, it took a while to <laughs> clean all that out and get all each data set sanitized. And and you're talking about different types of data, and um, and I know some of our audience. Is not probably a lot of our audience won't necessarily be people who know that much about mapping. And when you are talking about different types of data, this is one thing that interests me: is that you're not just talking about bringing in crime incidents or maybe 911 calls for service, but you're going to be mapping other sorts of data. And so, what kinds of data, as an analyst yourself, and which I'm sure and will be reflected in the exercises in the book. What kinds of data do you use and you combine together for for different types of questions? Um, you know, like the basic questions, say you go online to look at a public map, and most, most agencies might have online will be you can map the crime incidents or perhaps the calls, but not the other kinds of things you might combine when you're doing analysis. Could you tell us, explain a bit about, give us some examples of what kinds of data you map and, in using um, traditional data to find out, to answer different sorts of questions you might have as an analyst? Well, yeah, that's um, that's kind of a topic that, that in my class I like to teach, and it's it, I, it kind of expanded my knowledge a lot when I first got into this field because I really didn't know what that meant either. I thought when I first got into mapping and being a crime analyst as a sworn officer in Phoenix that um, it just meant, you know, figuring out where all the robberies occurred or the burglaries. And then I found out that there's this wealth of information like census data, demographics, land use data, um, places where people live, and, and all this other information that we collect as a police department. So when you look at everything a, a law enforcement agency collects in the form of citations or even a city, um, everything has some geographic component. And if it doesn't have a geographic component, it can be tied to some geographic component. So, for instance, if you have the, the even the, the rates and flows of water down a sewer or a water line, I mean, you can connect that to addresses. Um, so there's all kinds of different data that we can use um, to do our jobs that sometimes um, it, it really depends on the question that you ask on what data you need to answer that question. And I found myself over the last 15 years or so asking an awful lot of questions of GIS that I never really thought I'd get an answer to, but 
sure as heck, there it is in a map. And so that data can include stuff like incident data that you just talked about, which is calls for service or those calls that come in from the public asking for, for police response. We have uh, the actual crimes themselves, wherever they occurred, and what we'd have us be like uh, UCR or uniform crime reports. Um, we can also have uh, places where traffic citations are issued. We can have the place where the uh, person lives who was issued a traffic citation. And of course, all their vehicle information, what kind of car they were driving, um, that kind of stuff, that can all be used as an investigative tool. So if a yellow Mazda is involved in an armed robbery someplace, we can actually search that citation or traffic accident data or any other data that we have that's in our mappable surface and says, well, how many yellow Mazdas have we seen in this area recently um, in or around the time of this robbery? And sometimes be able to identify a suspect that way. So um, we also have all kinds of feature data. So feature data would be things like schools, um, census tracts, polygons for uh, parks and things like that. So. All of this information and data is, is used in conjunction with the crime analysis purposes to come up with answers to questions. And and some of our listeners might be new to crime analysis and they're trying to figure out how how to um, get some of this data. When you worked in Phoenix, um, were you a um, crime analyst in Phoenix also? Well, actually, I started off being a traffic analyst. I, I was brought up, and this was you know, back in 1993 or so, and when I got brought into my office, I had seven mainframe terminals in my office and a, and a regular computer that was running uh, DOS. And I think we had multi-plan back then. But um, you would type into a, one of the mainframes a SAS query, which is normally what we had, and that's a programming language that talks to mainframes and things. And then a, somewhere in another office in the city, that, that report would print out. And then in the morning, they'd wheel it over on a little cart. And we'd take that green bar report and type it into multiplan or whatever we were doing with it and do whatever analysis and report we had to do. And uh, that's kind of how I started doing tra doing traffic analysis, so doing traffic crash and, and traffic citations and where our officers should be for traffic enforcement. And there were two of us at the time. There was a crime analyst who was a sworn officer and then myself who was a traffic analyst. And uh, the sworn officer that had been in my position before me, he retired and was now a grant researcher. Um, was working as a civilian and so he taught us how to, to use multi-plan and and how to use these different uh, mainframes to query data. But it was really kind of like um, all the analogy I used or the way we used to do analysis was the same thing that we used to talk about with pin maps. You know, you'd have a map up on a wall and you'd stick pins in it. And if you went to try to take it any place, all the pins would fall out. And you're not like Monk. You can't put the pins back in right away. And the same thing goes with those mainframes. You know, if you made a mistake on the request, and you didn't type in the information on a grid or whatever correctly, you'd end up getting bad information and have to do it again. And that was pretty much routine. So you spent most of your time collecting data and not really analyzing it. And, and so and when you 
things evolved, obviously, and then also now you're in Glendale. But I know myself, as a former crime analyst at the Buffalo Police Department, it was often hard for me to get certain types of data. And different agencies, it's easier to get certain types of data. Let's say you mentioned your city. I was able to get census tract data from the city, which is very useful because for those listeners who might not understand how, that might be useful in mapping. Let's say I, I ha um, was able to map my census tracts and include the data there or, or take that data of, of the demographics, let's say the age groups of people, whether there's even vacant housing, all sorts of details that are held in census tract data, um, unemployment, things like that. And then crime, you know, in that same area, I could look, I could look say, where the densest area of, of crime was and correlated to what were the, the characteristics of the census tract, and you could understand problems better. Um, but, it, but let's say I couldn't get traffic data. So um, if you were an analyst and you, were, have, and you um, were telling someone, if you were a new analyst and you could get the data, that you need, what, what data would you say is most important and what, what would you recommend for analysts to have for doing mapping in the most efficient and also the most effective way? Well, I think there's, there's a threefold process that you have to go through as an analyst. And, and the first one is, is that the more data you have doesn't always necessarily make it better. Sometimes it just makes it more confusing if you don't have it organized. So one of the first things that I would do is set out to find out just what data is, is available and, and how good that data and information really is within your own police department. And so the best thing to do there is to go out and find out who, you know, find your database administrator for your RMS and your CAD system or your records management system and your computer dispatch system. Find out who that is and get to know them really well. Take them to lunch a few times and and really um, try to buddy up with them and find out and, and, and suck their brains of all the knowledge they have about the data. Because the more intimate you are with your data, the better your analysis is. And the more you can ask better questions and get better data. I mean, if I don't know the difference between you know yellow and red in my RMS system, it's kind of a mute point to ask that question. So I need to know what those differences, what those weaknesses are, what the strengths are in my data. And the best person to go ask is that database administrator and or your records entry clerks who are putting the data into it. So that's one of the first things I do is I'll, I'll go find um, those people and pick their brains and ask them a lot of questions. Then I'll go back and look at the data and analyze it, run it through, take a look at some of the fields and see if everything they told me seems to be coming across in the data itself. And it helps me also learn what's in that data and become intimate with it. And then once I've decided that I have my own data, my own data from my police department that I'm collecting, that usually helps me branch out and look within my own police department what other data sources are out there being entered in some other kind of data system that I might have access to. That usually leads me to data like the sex offender registry database that this, uh, our, what they call our SOAP program in Glendale has, which is an access database. Um, we also had adult probationers coming in from FTP um, site. We have our liquor license, state liquor license file comes from a common delimited file from an internet website. 
And I found out all these different data sets that people were using and coming from different sources. And so I started collecting all of this data from the police department. The next step is to go to the city, either planning or engineering or both, and start making friends out of them. Take them to lunch. Start talking to them and picking their brains about what data is there because you'll find that, um, like in my case, for instance, um, I was drawing my own beats and and boundaries, and I found out that engineering um, can do it a lot faster, had an ARC Info license, and made my job considerably easier by just taking it over to them and saying, can you make it look like this? <laughs> and they lined it up with the city's um, most accurate, what they call the Mon line or monument lines, um, which was much more accurate than what my little drawing was doing inside of ArcGIS. So I also saved myself some work. And in the process, found out that they were generating map books for patrol officers. And I took that work from them and started generating the map books. And so engineering gained something, and so did I. I got a lot of data. They didn't have to do the map books anymore. Um, and that's, I think, the best thing that you can do as an analyst is to get out there and start asking questions and start meeting all these other people in, in your other city departments because if you if you do analysis in isolation, you're basically going to have isolated analysis. And that's when you need to start getting out and start talking to all these other groups and peoples and you can find what's what's good for them is usually good for you too. And um, then last go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. No. Lastly would be then to to branch out even farther. Um most states have what they call, like in Arizona, it's called ALRIS, which is the Arizona Land Resource Information Systems. And they're responsible for promoting GIS technology throughout the state. And most every state in the union has one. Um, and you can get a hold of those folks, and they have all kinds of data that's statewide. Like um, I got a list of all of our national parks and Indian reservations and stuff like that from them. And it's usually free, and they'll just provide it to you on disk or DVD or even give you an FTP site to download it from. So it's uh, lots of sources out there if you just start asking people. And um, I thought it was interesting what you said about analysis done in isolation and, and how you're encouraging people to get out there. Um, as you know, the people are working more together with people um, investigators and doing analysis and using intelligence information to combine crime analysis and intelligence analysis together. So um, because at the local level we're able to get out there and even go on the streets where things occur and look around, um, how would you say people working, say, in fusion centers or at the state level might, what, what could analysts do when they're using mapping to um, to not be so you know to be they're farther removed from their problems because say if the whole state you can't go everywhere what would you advise them to do or how would you, how would that look you know because you know let me ask you before you answer that do you use intelligence information like information on gangs and things like that mm-hmm. in your, in your yeah. the the problem becomes really more of a sociological and political structure, not the data. 
or the analysis. I mean, one of the things that I guess annoys me somewhat from talking to some analysts is that, you know, they'll say something like, well, I did this tactical analysis and the detectives didn't go out there and do anything about it. And it was right. And I, Yeah, I've had that situation too. But, you know, did you try again? You know, or did you just create them a pin map of where the robberies occurred next time rather than an actual prediction? If we don't put ourselves out there, I mean, that's what we're getting paid for is to be an analyst, not just somebody that regurgitates information. And I think that's probably where we're seeing a lot of agencies or chiefs, um, Salt Lake, for instance, recently, I know, you know, replaced a lot of their analysts with a computer BI system, a business intelligence system that could answer all these questions and generate these monthly reports. Well, that's analysis, and if you can get them in the system to automate that, that's one thing. But the intuition that, that analysts can bring and, the, and being able to look at that same report differently, come up with different solutions, and then to continue with it and carry it farther down the road is the great, the great, uh, the huge stick, I suppose, that analysts have and that a police department has with an analyst that's willing to go that far. I mean, I don't like it when an analyst tells me that, you know, they're limited in their job because they're not. I don't know any analysts that aren't talented and brainy enough, at least none that I've met, um, that can't go out and find more work for themselves <laughs> on a pretty much daily basis. Um, I think trying to keep our perspective so that we don't overwork ourselves to death is probably the hardest part because there's always something better you can do. There's always something further that you further you can take an analytical uh, project, whether it be crime analysis or intelligence analysis, to come to a conclusion that's going to help. You know, and that could even be being involved as an investigator, calling people and victims and witnesses and suspects, which I've seen other analysts do at cases to help to help relieve that caseload and the manpower shortages that we have. As far as a statewide fusion center goes, you know, you do have, like with regional data sharing and things, there's a lot of politics involved in that. Um, and, and that's probably one of the hardest things to overcome. It's not the data itself or the information or the technology. It's the politics. Um, does an analyst, can an analyst go through the commander to get to the, the FBI to give them information and have it shared? Um, I think there's ways around that, and most of us have found that if we go through our analytical partners um, through these other agencies, we get a lot done that way. So I, I guess, too, my question is, I see analysis, crime analysis use focuses on geography much more, um, and, and do you see a role in intelligence analysis for mapping that isn't, isn't where that mapping isn't quite where it would be could be at as far as supporting analytical work and investigations and things like that major cross jurisdictional um, crime problems. Well, I, I, one of the things that I, I this is hard for me to, to say because I'm not I, I do intelligence analysis, but I'm not an intel analyst. I'm a crime analyst. And I come from being, you know, a police officer and investigating cases or an investigative analyst. So uh, when I look at intelligence analysis, I just look at it as, a, as an expansion of being an investigator, as being a detective. 
um, I look at it as being something that I'm looking at people now instead of places and things. But people are all related to places and things. So if I were to sum it up, and this is, I'm sorry for all the intel analysts out there that might take offense at this, but I sum it up as, as a crime analyst, I look at, at places and, and incidents and secondarily at, at the people involved. As an intel analyst, I look at the people involved and then secondarily their incidents. So in a tactical setting, for instance, where I have an armed robbery, say a set of 35 of them that are going on, when I do my crime analysis, I'm trying to predict where the guy is going to go next. You know, where is his next robbery going to be? And try to tell the, the uh, detectives where, where that might happen. I then slowly start to move into intel analysis by maybe um, the detective doesn't have time to re-interview some witnesses or some victims in those robberies. So I'll drive out there and I'll look at the case and I'll interview the victims again or the witnesses and I'll... I'll see if there's any other information that can help me figure out why the guy chose that particular target. So now I'm really becoming an investigator at that point. I'm an analyst when I'm sitting at my desk and I do the maps, but as I go out into the field, I'm starting to become an investigator. I'm starting to wear that hat. Now, some detectives might be upset about that that concept, but some aren't. And if it helps them get the job done and catch the bad guy, that's the whole point. Then... The second half of that is that I maybe start to move right into the intelligence realm by using either journey to crime analysis or by using geographic profiling to figure out where the suspect might live in relation to those offenses. Now I'm focusing completely on the person, and I think I've moved into intelligence analysis. I'm looking for a person who fits the description um, of that offender and I'm trying to find out everything I can find out about him. I'm looking for connections between that person and other people, like getaway drivers, uh, type of vehicles people have been into, and all that stuff that we see with intel analysis when we do gang investigations and everything else. We're looking for all those gimmicks or those vehicles or those tattoos or any of those things that will lead us to believe that these are the people that we ought to spend our time looking at. And so with that one project with that one tactical analysis, I've moved from being, you know, an, a crime analyst to an investigative analyst to being an intel analyst, and I'm doing it all seamlessly. And uh, for most of us, um, I think a lot of us that do tactical analysis that are out there are doing that pretty much on a daily basis. Um, and those that aren't are either stuck in the ad hoc request monthly report part, and they have a lot of ComStat responsibilities and things like that, for instance, um, or they're off on one of those other branches, you know, ComStat, administrative analysis, uh, strategic, tactical, administrative, whatever you want to call it, um, or maybe problem-led policing, intelligence-led policing. It's kind of all the same thing. They just have all these different titles. And I would rather, I would love to just have it called law enforcement analysis or police analysis or some some more generic term for all this. Me too, me too. Um, well, as you were saying that um, in Salt Lake City, they um, replaced analysts with um, some kind of program for business intelligence that would 
spew out the, the reports that similar to like what um, police agency like New York City Comstat, which is computer aided statistics, telling like how are you doing? Are crime is crime up or down? Too many analysts do spend their time making just making maps that are in effect pin maps. They're very static. They're not going anywhere, um, or they're they're doing statistics, but they're really not adding value to to the decision maker. They're not interpreting it. And so how do you think an analyst can move more into interpreting the data? You know, taking the, having a question about it, say you have a robbery series and it is related to, to liquor stores and maybe um, it's related to um, some kind of other kind, some other kind of information you might need. Um, so you would have to have the, the you want to know where your liquor stores are in your city so you map that. You have the robberies, but you also map some kind of, do you map DMV data about vehicles too with that if you had vehicle descriptions? Or would you not map them but you just know how many were, just pick pick them out of the data and map the like white Chevy sedans, you know, and have that question. You know, you're, you're coming with a question because you know enough, you have, you recognize the pattern, which might not be geographic looking, obvious, you know, a cluster of robberies isn't necessarily the problem. If it's robberies right. of liquor stores in an, in your whole city, so I think I lost track of my question there. But the point being is, how, how does an analyst become someone who interprets what this means and tells officers what to, they might do, commanders or detectives or whoever? How does how does one become more someone who is really analyzing so that we're not replaced by machines? Well, I, th I think most analysts that I do know in this field, I mean, when, when I got in as a detective, I knew very little at all about crime analysis. And what I know now is, is directly related to all those analysts out there that I could ask questions back then. Um, when I ever had a, a question I asked, and I'd get back 15, 20 responses on how to get something done. And so a lot of, you know, 80% of who I am right now is because I had all these analysts that were willing to answer questions and spur me on to do more than what I was already doing. So I think it's pretty much inherent in the personality it takes to be an analyst that, that you have to be kind of stubborn and a bit persistent. And we have to learn to uh, to, to kind of temper that somewhat and to, to keep it, you know, within the, the uh, semi-formal process and sociology of, a, of living within a police department. But... Um, I, I guess it, it for me it's just not always being happy with what I'm doing. If I put a product out there and I haven't looked at it in more than one way because I'm in a hurry or something else, that always disappoints me. And I want to go back in and look at that project again um, to see well where can I improve. I think one of the the, the the publications that probably brought out that I probably wasn't doing enough with mapping um, when I was doing projects was the, the I think it was John Eck and uh, a couple other folks from NIJ created that uh, hotspot mapping analysis uh, paper that they came out with a few years ago. And it basically was just talking about all the different ways that you do hotspots. And they're, they're, they're one of their main general conclusions, which I thought was very realistic, it was that you don't want to just do one hotspot map. You want to do 
say, a density hotspot map with spatial analysis. Then you want to do a graduated point map to see which locations are your highest. And then you might even want to do a core plus map or some other, some other map to show different aspects of that hotspot. Because a hotspot just isn't some you know, blob that sits there and stays there and has one 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 dimension. It's it's multiple dimensions. So once you've identified a hotspot, if you just give a map of hotspots to your detectives or your command staff, they're going to go say, "Well, fine, that was nice. That was a hotspot last week, but what else do you have?" And so you'll start having them say, "You know, this isn't enough." <laughs> Start giving me more information. This isn't helping. Or just quit giving me these maps. So you start doing the, the hot point maps or the graduated point maps with that hotspot map and say, well, here's your hotspots, and the hotspots are being driven a lot by these specific addresses. Let's target some resources there at those places. And then you can start doing some of that problem-solving policing. You can start finding some of those issues at those specific locations that are causing that particular crime to go up. And then you can maybe, if you're looking, what I call the shotgun approach to crime analysis, where they say, you know, give me a crime analysis of this area, and you start looking at it, and, you know, you've got to come up with a lot of conclusions there, and you've got to decide what to focus on. That sometimes is a daunting task when you've got, you know, 180 different UCR codes that you could be looking at or and maybe twice as many state or local statutes that you're looking for. But, you know, you want to think of what's important. You want to go back to your crime theory and say, you know, do sex offenders and arsonists, you know, do they kind of relate? You know, so if I looked at sex offenders, could I look at arsonists too? And the answer would be yes. I'd probably want to look at those two people because they both travel shorter distances to commit their crimes. And arsonists sometimes turn into sexual predators and vice versa. So we look at some of that theory as well when we're looking at this, so we decide what to target. Um, I know that I, I had a presentation here at a conference in San Diego um, by uh, uh, Detective Ben Vermillion, who replaced me in Phoenix, that's doing an awesome job there, where they were just showing how they were using um, a fairly simplified group of crystal reports to search for people that are in that might be involved in these crimes in these different series like the serial shooter case and some other ones on how they went through just the process of eliminating you know thousands and thousands of people from these lists that they had of all this data that met the physical description and the types of crimes that they had committed and went through all these lists to identify these potential offenders lists um, it was amazing. I mean, it's very simple work, but it's very time-consuming. But they were able to develop a process that helped rank these folks so that they could look at the people on top of the list more seriously than those that are farther down in the list and therefore save themselves some time and give some more valuable product to the investigators at the end, at the end of the line. And that's what we all have to do is we have to look up new and innovative ways to use the same data. And maybe that means, you know, doing a hotspot map, doing a graduated point map, then looking at that specific location for all the different crime types, the dates and times of the week they occurred, all the standard stuff we also always do, 
But then in our report, let's just have the front page be an executive summary that's three, pa three paragraphs long that says, here's the crime I think you should focus on. Here's how you, I think you can impact it based on this pop guide that we have back here that says if you do this, you know, you could probably reduce shoplifting at the Walmart um, and vice versa. And you start actually using what we know that already exists out there that some other analyst or investigator or researcher has already done and said, hey, this helps, this works, and start to apply that to what we're doing within our own agencies, not just saying, hey, here's a hot spot, and then letting the command uh, folks decide you know, what they're going to do about that hot spot. Because you know as well as I do that the response when you say, here's a hot spot, is they use the cockroach approach to policing, and that's they throw a whole bunch of light in there by dumping 200 officers into an area and arresting everything that moves. And although that works short time, it doesn't really solve the problem completely. And uh, we need to get away from doing that because the times and the, the money that we have to invest in that many officers is far, far gone. You don't have that time and that luxury anymore, I don't think. All right. And for those listeners who don't know, a POP guide is a problem-oriented policing guide. And I also just wanted to comment that um, certain analysts are not going to go out and interview people because they, in my state, the union, police union is so strong, I would not be going out and interviewing. I wouldn't be doing any police work. But that doesn't mean I couldn't find out things from an investigator. So no matter where our analyst is working, they can find out ways to dig deeper into particular problems. Um, Brian, we have about eight minutes left. Tell, tell me a little more about what kinds of exercises people will find in your book. Um, what kind of practical exercises will they find in the book so that they have an there's idea? A lot of, there's a lot of different things. I, I think queries are probably one of the the things that most people have a hard time, it's kind of a hard time to write those little SQL queries in ArcGIS. So there's a lot of practice in there with those queries and with geographic queries. So, I mean, what, what we do um, is we, what I call the essential skills. These are skills that you need as an analyst to be able to query data in, a, in an ArcGIS environment. So. For instance, we'll have you can do queries that are just plain attribute queries. You know, I want to find you know the, the, all of the Hispanic males that are between this age and this age. But we also want to combine that with the geographic queries that we can do. In other words, within an area, around a feature, etc. So we take those spatial queries and mix them with attribute queries, and they keep getting more complex as you go out through the exercises. Um, and then, of course, we have buffers that we talk about. And then we also apply in the different exercises. There's a lot of them that use CrimeStat for doing hotspot mapping, um, which is it, a lot of people will pay a lot of money to buy spatial analyst extension and other software that does hotspots when you have CrimeStat, which is completely free. And it does all kinds of stuff that some of this other software can't, and you have an infinite amount of adjustment to it. So you can change it, modify the settings and things like that to do all kinds of different types of analysis with it. And so CrimeStat is a really underused but free, completely free tool 
that if an analyst just had ArcGIS and CrimeStat, they'd be able to do an awful lot that most people can do with some very sophisticated and very high-dollar programs that exist out there. So what we tried to do is bring a little bit of CrimeStat in there as well to show you that it's not so hard to use CrimeStat practically on a day-to-day -day basis. So, um, and then just some things about, some exercises in there about, you know, what's, what's good to have on maps? You know, what do you really need to have on a map to make it a map and make it useful? And then try to um, take a lot of that practical exercise with actual assignments that I've been given as an analyst or similar ones that say, you know, hey, um, the media wants to know about, you know, armed robberies along canal banks up here in this local area, you know, and it's pretty much uh, the letter that was sent from the media via email to our PIOs and said, here's, I want our PIO is public information officers that says, here, I want this information and we're going to put it on the news tonight. Can you please, uh, you know, generate a report about how many XY crime types are occurring in this location along this canal bank? So that'll be part of the practical exercise in there is actual exercises that I've been given as an analyst to work on are very ones that are very similar and simplified somewhat in some cases. Um, but it will also teach you how to go out to Yahoo and find those liquor stores or those water stores or cigarettes cheaper stores that you can put on your map. So how you can find those addresses and geocode them and bring them in to uh, ArcGIS and use them. And then the, the exercises themselves, or I should say the chapters themselves, have the theoretical principles behind why all this stuff works and some ideas and some concepts and some thoughts on, on why do we do crime analysis to begin with? Why do we do crime mapping? You know, what value has it? There's even a short review of statistics in there that talks about, you know, ratio and interval numbers and ordinals and ordinal numbers and the, the different aspects of, of statistics that you need to know to do some of this mapping and what that means to your data. Okay. Yeah. You know, it sounds you know both useful to people teaching a crime mapping course and practical to an analyst who can go through the exercises why they're sitting at the desk and know why they're doing it. But um, I did want to ask you one last question before we go. We have just a few minutes left because I know like some commanders they might buy that um, purchase at MonthlyCrimeReports.com mapping so the public could have mapping, it's pretty reasonable, and I think it's a good thing for um, sharing information with the public. But then some commanders might say, well, we have prime mapping already, uh, and they're not really having what you're talking about. So maybe you could just explain quickly before the show ends, what's the difference between having that kind of map that the citizens could look at crime incidents and this kind of work that's more sophisticated that you're doing and providing as a service to your agency? Um, well, well, first of all, if, if there's a lot of different websites out there that provide, you know, map services to the public. Most of them are point data. Um, that's all it is, is just showing you where an incident occurred. Um, and there's only so much practical use you can get out of a point map. I mean, if you've got 100 incidents on a map and you're looking at it on the Internet, that's going to tell you one of two things. Either my area that I'm looking at, if it's small and it's got 100 crimes, then that means that, well, there's a lot of stuff going on here. 
and being able to look at each individual incident might be able to tell you some stuff, but it doesn't really give you a lot of analysis. It's just kind of picking through and finding things that you want to look at that are, you know, that are interesting to you or, or bother you or make you fearful or whatever it is and why you're looking at the map to find out information. Whereas the type of stuff that an analyst usually does is to break all that down, you know, how how many of these things are occurring and when are they happening? And, you know, how can we interdict those and prevent them from happening? So I think that's the objective for all analysts is that we're producing a product that either is going to help officers catch a bad guy, figure out who a bad guy is so that the detectives can go out and catch them, or be able to prevent that crime to, from occurring in the first place. So whereas these maps that are out there in the, in the public are more for helping the public determine how much of a problem they really have around the area so that they can take whatever steps they have to help prevent crime for themselves by either hardening their targets, which is usually the objective of those, is you know put a better door lock in, get a septet review, or someone to come out from the police department to review your property to see where you could you know, fortify it a little bit more, um, cut down some bushes so suspects can't hide behind there or whatever, um, and give them just some, some information. I mean, information is power. Power is knowledge. And so we're able to, to protect ourselves um, by knowing what's going on around us. But the analyst is, is, is giving that to commanders so that they don't have to really think about it. They can just go out and, and put an action plan in place uh, to prevent a specific crime and or catch the bad guy or identify who a bad guy is. At least that's well, my I, concept of it. Yes, and I, I, I wish you luck with the book. I mean, I, I do know it's nice to hear another book added to the to the list of growing resources for crime analysis, um, which when I became an analyst 11 years ago or so was not, was a shorter list and it's getting longer and it's, a, it's great that you contributed to the profession this way because um, anyone who's, who's worked with you, whether it's just through cyberspace or on the phone, you've, you've been a great help to the, to the community. Um, and, and now we're at the end of the show. I want to thank the listeners for joining us on Analyst Corner. Stay tuned for more expert guests and best practices in crime and intelligence analysis and policing. And I want to thank you again, Brian, for coming on the show. Well, you're more than welcome. Yeah. Thank you. And I still have an autographed copy of your book. Well, great. Great. And I hope to get an autographed copy of your book one of these days. So you take care, and um, thanks so much for coming on. And, and um, as I said, good luck with the book. And um, I encourage um, people to, to purchase it because I'm sure it's valuable. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.